Attention shoppers, there are a wide variety of Crossrip items available in the gift shop. Sweatshirts, smartphone covers, an exclusive t-shirt designed by Dapper Dan Shonen of IDW Comics fame, and more on the way. All proceeds go towards our servers, so this remains the only ad you hear on the show. Go to GhostbustersHQ.net slash shop to get yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Hey there, Ghostbusters fans, and welcome to the CrossRip podcast for Labor Day weekend. Yes, to all of our U.S. listeners, I hope you're enjoying a three-day weekend. Uh, We thank you for having us in your ear holes for it. Uh, We've got a great episode coming up for you. We have uh, from the Circle City Ghostbusters in Chicago, the entirety of the Wizard World panel with Ivan Reitman and Ernie Hudson. We're also going to be talking about that Halifax commercial that uh, seems to be causing quite a stir. Stay tuned. Still Playing With Toys presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. So free. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the key Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. Oh, we have fun. Woo! You know, that whole thing about I would do anything for my kids sort of thing. You know, I'd yeah. die for my child. I'd yeah. do anything. Food out of my mouth. Keep them fed. That sort of thing. That's a philosophy that just really you kind of got to get your head wrapped around and spreads out to everything. And that includes things like, you know, <laughs> little Ghostbuster <laughs> items that he's cracked open and stuff like that. Like, I've had boxes of You just have to throw your hands up dump- and be like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Well, because at the end of the day, I'm like, you can be that jerk that's like, No! I haven't seen these in years, and I had three, and you opened them all up, and it's kind of like, well, dim bulb, they were made for kids. I was going to say, they were originally made for kids who tore them open and ate them. Yeah, Yeah, and guess what? It caught this kid's eye, and it's like, (laughs) yeah, if I really wanted to keep it, I probably should have put it away somewhere. You know, if I did a dollar value, uh, three of them, I don't know, maybe a hundred bucks at most. At most. Um... because I, I don't even think I picked them up for all that much. So even by now, maybe, maybe, maybe asking ten bucks for them. So not not even a hundred, like fifty tops. I don't know. Well, how Anyways. how did he fare with the thirty uh, year old uh, candy? Oh well, yeah, the whole Bart Simpson's uh, <laughs> electric cupcake thing. Yeah, he's cracked open two and hated them, but I, I guess he thought this third one was going to be a charm. And I'm like, no, they're 33 years old. Did you not notice that some of them have dimpled inwards, like they were trying to implode? <laughs> That's because they're so old. The air inside and the whatever weird chemical off-gassing of you know xanthan gum and sugar had like created a vacuum inside it like they were just they were sinking in on themselves they're that old like they were never gonna taste good he's like are they poisoned i was like okay the lesson here is old food is typically not good for you in general and yes sometimes it can be poisoned which is really one of the lessons i'd also like to get on the table here please don't go eating old food no not a good idea no in this case no, it's probably not going to kill you. You Did you swallow any? No. Yeah, and it's right, probably, probably unpleasant even... enough, yeah, that he spit yeah. it out would be my guess. But Exactly what yeah. happened. And that's partly how I knew, because he's wearing a white t-shirt, and he's got this purple stain <laughs> on the front of it where he like, <laughs> obviously spit it out. And I'm like, all right, second question. Where did you spit it out? I don't remember. It was literally just oh, a couple of no. minutes ago. Did you spit it out on the carpet? 
So there could know. be real like, Ghostbusters bubble gum somewhere oh around no, here I, that you'll I find. I gave him a paper towel and oh, said, okay. please go. There's only so many places you could have spit it out. Please go find it and put it in the garbage. <laughs> but yeah. Man. Uh, being an adult and having kids. Yeah, I have, like I said, there's regrets about it. I wish I had gotten a nice photocopy of it, just for the records. <sighs> well, now you have I to seek out a fourth it. one. And yeah. <laughs> Although, maybe there's a unique opportunity here that depending on how badly he ripped up the thing, I might be able to put fresh gumballs back inside. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a Seal good idea. Seal it all up. Can't really resell it, or if I did, it'd have to be like at a horribly reduced price or something like that. But for the but fa- your photography, photo records, yeah, totally, ooh, look, could look pretty good. Yeah, this may be a blessing. There you go. There's your. I'm just gonna take a swig of beer. That's your pair. <laughs> that's your pair lesson of the day. Chug, chug, chug. Find the silver lining, because the kids are just gonna be kids. What are you Always gonna do? look on the bright side mm. of kids. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. This has been a long. What is it? Wednesday. It's, Ooh, it's a long Wednesday. Three. I'm tired, anyways, and it was, so basically, it was just kind of like, okay. Uh, just, yeah, it is. A what discussion it is. will be had, but I'm not terribly mad, and I. Uh, uh, well, uh, hey, so maybe something that will put a smile on your face. Uh, GB oh, GB Max. Uh, every photograph that you have seen of that guy <laughs> visiting Los Angeles puts a smile on your face. It's uh, how could it not? I mean, you have the, to be the dead genuine inside. glee on that guy's face is uh, it's astounding. Uh, dead as a zombie taxi driver <laughs> if you don't smile at the um, GB Max. Uh, so Massimo uh, runs uh, GB Mania, yep. and he's one of the founding Long uh, time. members of yeah. GB Italia. Uh, and uh, I we talked about this before. I got to meet him when I was in uh, in Rome there in the. Um, the springtime, and um, others have met up with him. A uh, few people now, actually. Uh, 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 Todd from the Ghostbusters of British Columbia was there traveling with his wife a few years back. They met with him. And uh, recently, for reasons I'm not quite clear on, I don't know if it was work or if he just decided to make a pilgrimage. He, I'll have to ask him. But he um, uh, he got to he got to go to L.A., and then he met a few more people while he was there. Uh Robin Shelby, and uh, I'm trying to think, uh, oh, off the top, apologies to everybody, because he did get to meet a bunch of people. He got to meet uh, birthday boy, Mr. Eric. He Wright. did, yeah. He got to do the, well, he did the Sony tour. That's Those are all the photos I saw. He did the Sony yes. tour, and then he went to uh, Ghost Corps and, um, yeah. and was generous and, and gave Eric like a, a, a king's ransom of amazing GB Mania stuff uh, with all of his, like, uh, yeah, posters and I, buttons and stickers and I don't know how much he. Well, I mean, he shared some of it. He showed some of it to me. Uh, do you recall I mentioned coming back from visiting him and he he I got a, an armload of of stuff too. Like he created a booklet about the history of GB Mania and GB Italia, just filled with photos. And oh, I, was I remember like, you saying that that he had done like an encyclopedia kind of thing. Yeah. Ah, uh, just. Uh, uh, well, it, as it turns out, he, he showed me a couple of photos of it. It's not like I, it's not like it was a PDF or anything I could rifle through, but he showed me pictures of it. One of the things he gave to Eric, if, <coughs> if judging by the photos correctly, uh, and judging by the thing he showed me, um, there in Ghost Corps, besides the wall of patches, he made a, I don't know, as of two months ago, uh, book of franchises. 
like, like a he directory just, or something like uh, yeah he just everybody's <laughs> that's awesome logo photo of the team uh, a little blurb just crazy and then had one of those online print on demand things he had it printed out and oh it was just like, man he's just such uh, a good dude i'm so bummed that i missed he, him yeah. when he was here it was like he's he's um yeah i i really wish you could have got gotten to see him that he's a he's a character and a half uh and super enthusiastic um uh he everybody he's met with him his english is actually a lot better than he thinks it is but it's not it's not 100%. There'll be there'll be trips, uh, you know, and stops and all that. Uh, he's probably got to uh, search uh, for words or the the colloquial, yep. colloquialisms he doesn't really probably have and yeah. but he just really wants to connect with fans. And um, what else? Oh, uh, today I just saw a photo of uh, him and Robin Shelby. They met up at um, at the Biltmore. It's a photo <laughs> of the two of them together well, of in Of course, the, he's in uh, LA. He's got to go to the Biltmore. Yeah. Uh, and I can only hope, we well, didn't talk about it a much. He was more interested about getting to ghost core and he, he reached out and, uh, same with you. And ultimately he talked to Eric and, uh, Eric, uh, steered him in the right direction. Um, but I never thought about it. Like I, I things were just so busy and I should have asked him like, how much spare time do you have? What are you planning to do? Cause I'm hoping that when he got to the build more besides the doors and the, uh, the lobby that. Uh, perhaps if he, I don't know. I'm hoping he got this stuff off of, uh, uh, off of the internet because ho- he may have seen some of the other stuff. Uh, you know, mine or Paul Rudolph's uh, shot on sites that would direct him to that stairwell. Yeah, the stairwell. Uh, <laughs> some I just saw that. somebody that did they, they they put the matte painting because they had a clean version of the matte painting. So they went and they took a photograph of themselves. And then they composited themselves into the the matte painting. Interesting. Um, I didn't see that. Shoot, I don't remember well, who that was. That it, was not. That was actually, recently too. Well, it'll come up in another conversation we're about to have uh, about a certain British bank. Um, but um, yeah, so he, he he seems to get to see quite a bit of stuff. He got yeah. to go to Ghost Corps. I'm glad uh, that guy deserves yeah. it. Yeah, he's a. Uh, <laughs> he's he's uh he he is the uh the what do you what do you call it the uh, the the platonic ideal of fandom. <laughs> yes, he's really. one of the good ones. He's yeah. When you, when you want somebody to um find some sort of a surrogate for the good fans, uh that's that's GB Max. Like he's just he's always genuinely enthusiastic and never I've never heard that guy say a negative thing. Um yeah, he's nope. he's a good guy. But uh, he, so um, good, good for him well, for that pilgrimage. Partially out of uh, because I'm sure, assuming it's easier for him too. He uh, seems to practice a if you don't have anything good to say, uh, don't say anything because he only ever seems to chime in when he's got something positive or excited to say and all that. So uh, yeah, when it's not worth his while to do the negative translations, <laughs> find, uh, finding the negative words probably. I'm only half kidding when I say I want to make a bumper sticker that you know says uh, WW. Uh, GBMD, you know what I mean? Like, I, what would GB Max do? It's true. Um, it's true. He would be living it up at Dragon Con right now. I have a feeling that if he if he would have stayed in the states for just a little bit longer, oh, and some way somehow would have made it out to Atlanta, which is you know, he this would is happening have been as like we speak. An eighties movie cliche, uh, <laughs> you know, the foreigner, uh, you know, who finds his people in a foreign land who just proceed to get him drunk, which yep. is exactly what would. Oh happen yeah, he'd be he'd be smashed. He'd find, <laughs> I, but he would he would be gleeful every moment of it. Uh, so, oh, yeah. absolutely, good good um, for Max. Uh, so check check out his photos on GB Mania if yeah. you haven't. Follow him on the 
the Facebooks and the Twitters. Uh, and the I don't, tweeters. I think he's the... put a few Instagram photos up, but that's not really his thing as Instagram. So no, and a, a website. The website's out there too. But yeah, yeah. But the more immediate stuff is Facebook and uh, and uh, I, I've posted some. If you want to try and find them, uh, like cross posted to Proton Charging on Facebook and all that. So uh, yeah, check yes, check him if, out. If you don't know who he is. Find out and become his friend because really your life is lacking otherwise. Yes, yes, uh, and and feed off of his positive vibes. He is, he is positively <laughs> charged psychokinetic slime. If I've ever seen any. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, we need to talk to Ghostbusters Resurrection when they get rolling and see if they'll add a. Uh, uh, they need to have like a. Oh god. Okay, maybe. Hopefully, a couple of them listen. Oh boy, I need to talk to the DM because this would be fantastic if they have like a a negative uh, psychokinetic energy outbreak and they call in the specialist and the specialist, <laughs> you know, package en route and it's literally just GB Max comes and hangs out, <laughs> sort of chills everything out. <laughs> hey, ciao. Hey, look, the needle's uh, dropping. I love it. Oh, I love it. He's, <laughs> and he's then we can add him vibes. into the the official RPG Ghostbusters RPG. Uh, um, um, uh, what do you call it? Equipment list. Yeah, exactly. A little GB Max and the PKE levels uh, sink because they <laughs> they counterbalance the negative energy. But you got to keep your uh, your black slime uh, spear and all that out of the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. He'll 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 he'll, he'll or, or your green slime or whatever. He'll just uh, the negative mood slime. He'll just uh, all your stock. He'll, like <laughs> he'll corrupt your stock of negative mood slimes. <laughs> Oh, Max. Um, well, hey. So uh, before we get into the news, I've got one more shout out that we need to uh, to 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 speak to because this guy spent a whole lot of time on it, and I was pretty damn impressed by it. Uh, so Chad of Ghostbusters.net, another longtime uh, fan out there, um, he was kind enough to put some visuals to our podcast episode for uh, episode three forty, uh, mm-hmm. which came out uh, last year about uh, this time, September October. Uh, talking what? talking about yeah, it was almost a year ago. Can you believe it? It, well, it feels like the first episode was like a couple of years ago. So I know it's true. It's all flying touch. by. But uh, so yeah, so he was kind enough to put some visuals for the. It's the uh, episode where I talk ad nauseum about the Ghostbusters Ectomobile Owners Workshop Manual. Um, but it's so great. I mean, he puts clips in there, and he. Um, sort of uh, just sort of personifies and visualizes the entire conversation that you and I had. It was kind of cool. It reminded me of. Like uh, when Ricky Gervais used to have his podcast and they would do the animations later. I was like, oh, yeah. this is such a cool way to revisit old episodes. So it kind of reminded me too of, uh, I don't know if it's as much of a thing, but there was a, a couple of years ago, it was quite a big thing to do the uh, trailers for books. Oh, it was very yeah. Strange. Yeah, exactly. That's It really does play like a trailer for the book, which again, thanks, Chad. I mean, it was awesome to retweet that out and then I saw you know the publishers retweeted that out and um, yeah it, it it works really well we needed you back in October of last year <laughs> um, hey, I don't mean to to get all domestic on you can you hear my washing machine in the distance mm-hmm. okay good I don't hear the washing <laughs> machine but will you do my laundry while you're at it because I have a mountain of it uh yeah send it up <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so check check that out um very kind of chad to do that and it's it's really cool uh, especially it's an episode cool. where i get to hear myself talk because we know i love to hear myself talk um all <laughs> right the interviewee it was it was great it was yeah it was pretty awesome like uh you and i we've been doing this for now four years uh and i think it's the uh, first time you've interviewed me but 
Um, anyway, uh, all right. Well, I have lots of news stuff and I want to get into the heart of our discussion. Speaking of that British bank commercial. Uh, so let's, uh, let's hop into the news. Here we go. Hey guys, Peter, I have some news from the world of Gozer. I got some pretty cool stuff cooking up over here. If you want to turn your head. Multiplanar curly and emanation. Now, well, here's your next month's cover of GQ. Check out the aura on this sucker. All right, so everybody, I hope that you are sitting down because we have two, um, I guess, bad news things to lead off with here. It's not necessarily bad news, but it's just sort of like, oh, hmm, news. Um, so, everybody, everybody find your inner GB Max, <laughs> and here we go. Channel your Max, because here we go. So yeah, uh, so first item up for bids here, uh, Ghostbusters Dimension is closing down only in the New York City location at Madame Tussauds. Uh, so, and it's actually, it's happening fairly quickly here. It's going to be happening here in September. Um, it is yeah. just the void attraction. The the wax figures are going to remain and all of the cool, um, the locales that they set up for Ghostbusters Answer the Call, those are going to stay. But the Ghostbusters Dimension attraction is leaving the building. Um, womp womp. I'm only assuming that that's because the void... Maybe they had uh, whatever it was, a two-year deal with them. Whatever the license was may be expiring. Um, Knowing that the Void has their rec rooms that are opening up, I think it's probably to their advantage to do... You know their own arcade, their own admission, uh, sell their own merchandise, all that jazz. So that it, it yeah, kind of makes sense. It, it kind of makes sense. It's also eating up uh, part of uh, Madame Tussauds space. Yeah, meaning that I'm sure they were like, well, we've gotten everything we happily got out of it in a two year period, and now we'd like the space back to put in more. You know, um, got to, I don't know. Uh, David Bowie and Aretha Franklin have to be right. put somewhere, right? Yeah, so, they've got to um, make room for new attractions, uh, new new photo ops, basically. But um, basically, so, so I mean, that's that's the bad news is that it's leaving that one particular location. The good news is that it is being populated in half dozen, by my count, uh, over the last couple of weeks uh, yeah. locations. So you can go check it out. And have you seen? We didn't talk about it because it's been happening like the last two or three weeks, but there's like social media ads that the void has been running where they've got Dan Aykroyd in a like Ghostbusters <laughs> parka and a baseball hat. And he's, I think he's kind of in character. I think he's maybe supposed well, to be race dance or maybe it's supposed to be just him or I, let's be honest when he's talking about Ghostbusters, even at low ebb, Dan Aykroyd is 85% doing race. He's so. basically Ray. I mean, he doesn't flat out uh, say, this is race dance, the heart of the Ghostbusters, <laughs> but it's kind of yeah, implied. Uh, it kind of felt a bit like that little video he did for uh, Ghostbusters in concert, too. Oh, right. Like, it feels yeah. like they may have uh, set him up. I haven't compared, but my, my initial cynical, re- not cynical, but my production uh, brain reaction was is you know they got him for a day and uh, they had a lineup like, talk <laughs> about the void all of these oh that's talk totally about true Ghostbusters in concert talk about this talk about that um, well and I, yeah. I'm guessing they don't want you know since there are now keepers of the canon uh, that they probably don't want Ray Stance uh, representing the void attraction or the Ghostbusters concert thing, but it can kind of be a nebulous, like Dan slash Ray hybrid maybe. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's cool to see him in, he's wearing like the think geek, um, windbreaker and the, one of the new era caps, if I remember correctly, but it's, it's cool to see Dan in like 
in, in the same paraphernalia that we all wear, basically. <laughs> Literally the heart of the Ghostbusters. Um, so uh, anyways. Well, he's got one closet with jumpsuits and no ghost logo gear, and then another one that's nothing but black suits with yeah. uh, <laughs> fedoras and uh, sunglasses. And Ray-Bans, yeah. Um, but so anyway, so it's, it's cool. I mean, the void is really out there. They're really pushing Ghostbusters dimension. So it's, it's kind of yep. bad news, but at the same time, it's just, it's one location closing it out and it's, it's no big deal. It's at the just moment. business. Yeah. Um, they, they, I mean, we, this thing, when it, it started up with an expiry date, we didn't know what it was, but a deal was always struck. Yeah. You knew it couldn't last you know, there's always Yeah. There's always a time limit to these things. And as it turns out, you know, here we are two years after the, everything launched. So that's not a bad run in one location. Like, no. And the fact that it's expanded out, there's one here in Glendale and Santa yeah. Monica down the street from me. Um, so, yeah. Did, it it did nice. exactly what it needed to. Uh, it did very well by Madame Tussauds, I'm sure. And, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, um, and, it's and, moving probably, I don't know, 20 minutes drive. <laughs> to wherever one of these uh, Cineplex uh, yeah. rec rooms is set up. Somewhere so. in Brooklyn, probably, where they've rented out a warehouse or something. But um. Well, no. Uh, uh, listeners will recall three, four weeks back, we talked about uh, the announcement of a couple of the Cineplex rec rooms opening up in Canada. Right, uh, right. Edmonton and one was in Ontario. So if you missed out in Ontario, you probably don't have to go too far to find where it's at. Uh, so... Um, yeah, they're, they're opening all over the place, man. It's, it's so cool. I, I, I need to go do it again <laughs> while it's still here. Speaking of there being a time limit, I, I keep dragging my feet and it's like, God, I gotta go do it. But, um, I need to go do it period. So yeah, yeah thanks yeah. for rubbing come, that in. Come down to LA and we'll do it. We'll find a way. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, uh, the other, not bad news, but again, ho-hum news, uh, the, uh, the San Antonio convention that we mentioned last week where Rick Moranis is making his grand debut of convention appearances, the uh, Alamo city, the Alamo Comic-Con. city. Well, and did you hear that nobody can call their comic cons comic con anymore? I know. Thanks SDCC. <laughs> yeah. I call, uh, no way on that one, but, uh, yeah, that's... I think what we'll see is a lot of people will just go Alamo, Alamo city comic convention. Yeah. Thanks geez. San Diego. Uh, it's it's very much Spike Lee uh, suing Spike TV for uh, defamation of character, but um, <laughs> or uh, what was it, Candy Crush? What was it trying to uh, trademark the word candy? Yeah, come on, and guys. or Crush. It's really? like all right, yeah. Fine. But anyway, so uh, Alamo City, you reached out to them because we had some questions last week about the yes. VIP experience, and and they got back to you. What what did they say? They did well. They had not at the time of recording um, uh, the last episode. Uh, and I'm afraid I, I let my inner Massimo get, uh, the better of me <laughs> and I tried to spin it, uh, based on what little information we had that it sounded like there was potentially, um, uh, room there that Rick would be not just doing the dark helmet VIP packages, but would be doing general photo ops. Uh, that potential still remains. It's just percentage chances dropped hideously. Uh, Alamo city, uh, uh, emailed back. Uh, saying that at this time, all you can do is the Dark Helmet uh, VIP package, which is a whopping $800 US. Um, uh, They did say that that may change, um, but that, you know, none of that had been uh, sorted out. And at at the moment, all you have is is that. Uh, well, I tried and, to. And didn't they make it sound like it was Rick's schedule too? Like he doesn't have a whole lot of time, so maybe he's just doing this one particular signing they were very, or event or whatever. 
they were a little vague on it, but oh, yeah, okay. kind of. Um, and and I guess that's part of the potential thing too is that he may go. I do have an afternoon, and all of a sudden, a whole wealth of you know hundred dollar photo opportunities open up for you know a five hour period or something like that. Um, I mean, I tried to do some quick math, and it's like, well, if you put in the stuff that you were most likely wanting, anyways, so a hundred bucks for the uh, uh, the 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 three day pass because that yeah. comes as part of the VIP thing. Uh, photo opportunity. Sigourney Weaver was a hundred bucks. Rick Moranis at least that. He's pretty rare bird. Uh, so let's say a photo uh, for you and a friend, a hundred bucks. And then they had what was it? Sign one thing. Well, uh, so that might be you might money uh, if like because I've been to photo tables where sometimes or, it's like seventy five, eighty bucks yeah, a signature. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, you know, loosey goosey say, well, that's 300 bucks. But still, then you start doing the, that extra 500 is, you know, the early in, the priority seating. I mean, it, it could be. Like, if you're just like, oh, I hate the hassle of the crowds and all that and finding a seat, well, you know, that's part of the 500 is you can go sit right at the front of every panel if you wanted to because it's reserved for you. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, you're, a, you're buying a VIP pass, basically. So you're going to get VIP treatment yeah. for that um, price. Yeah. They got a lounge for the VIP card, uh, like Ooh. pass holders, meaning, you know, instead of buying $10 waters, you can go in and, I don't know, you may still have to buy water. <laughs> and but you I, get top I get shelf alcohol. Look at top that. Top shelf alcohol. <laughs> Lap dances. Um, I don't know. It's a little hard to spin, and there is it's it's the daguerreotype of fandom. A lot of people are like, you know, wow, that's a that's a hefty chunk of a paycheck and stuff like that. And it's yeah. it's like, yeah, but you know, trips, you know, the the rare things they're not cheap, and you have to save up for them. And it just comes down to how important is it to you that I was you gonna say there are some people your, that they will pay that they want they'll that. they'll pay that. Yeah, it may not be you. And like, this is actually kind of falls back into that conversation we had before about people going, you know, Ugh, that you know the car, whatever the I don't know blitzways pull it out is twelve hundred bucks too much. You know, it should be less. And it's like, well, buy a lesser one then. Like there are lots of other actors. Yeah, like, yeah. You, uh, you can't you can't have it. All. I want that gold plated toilet, <laughs> but I'm only willing to pay ten bucks. It's like that's not Nobody's how it works. Forcing um, you to meet Rick Moranis. Uh, yeah. So, no. Um, so I mean, it's kind of know. a bummer, but I think it's it's to be expected. And and there is that opportunity that those tickets could open up when if you're there still in the could. San Antonio area, and all of a sudden they have a raffle to meet Rick Moranis. Yeah. There's a possibility of that. So they didn't shut that down. They left that door open specifically. Um, and I did make it clear, like you know, uh, here's the fan community and the podcast and all that we run and it's very direct to the fans who would love to see Rick and all that. And we kind of want to clarify and get the word out and all that. So they got back to me and they said, this is, so you know what I mean? Like if it was a no go, they would have made it clear no go. Yeah, they wanted yeah. to leave the, but so the fact that they left the door open means they literally are, I mean, they, they themselves are kind of hoping that that's always an opportunity too. So yeah. We'll so see. We'll, we'll see, and we'll keep you guys posted if we hear anything else. Uh, there, there is a, there's still a chance. There's a slim chance. Slim chance. Yeah. Things may change, but um. Matt. So anyway, okay. So let's um. I want to get us into this discussion topic. So rapid fire here, just some merch news uh, to get into. Spencer's, uh, they've got a cool exclusive proton pack backpack that's up for sale. Yeah. Um, check check that out. It's pretty. I mean, it's at least based on the photos, it's pretty nifty for a backpack yeah. if you're going back to school. 
Well, some people, again, have gone, boo, that's just the spirit pack slept onto a, a backpack. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah it's still You're cool. right. That's probably what it is because <laughs> Spencer's and spirit are one and the same. One um, and the same. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so there's that. There's also some, uh, there's a card game that there's some late breaking news as we're recording this. Uh, was it Renegade you said was doing Renegade it? games, Renegade games and Albino Dragon. Now, anybody who follows Kickstarter or, or you know, or, or loves playing cards, I don't know, probably familiar with the name. They, uh, Albino Dragon, oh boy, they've done a dozen or so specialized playing card decks and all that. And uh, if everybody remembers a few years back, they did that illustrated Ghostbusters playing card deck. So, I mean, it's right. a poker. Oh, it's a yeah, poker that's right. Set, but it's it has uh, the illustrated Ghostbusters. I can't remember the name of the artist, but uh, Renegade and Albino Dragon announced today. What day is today? Yes, today. Literally yeah, today. Wednesday. Late breaking news that, here. Late yeah. breaking news. Uh, the links and all that are up on our social media that they're taking pre-orders in a couple of places. Uh, about 20 bucks. Uh, but it is Ghostbusters uh, colon the card game uh, as opposed to Ghostbusters colon the video game or, or the Ghostbusters board game. colon the board game. <laughs> uh, it's Ghostbusters is turning into space balls a little it bit. Really I kind of yeah. like it. Ghostbusters, um, the cereal box. The cereal box. Um, <laughs> Uh, details on the game, light, light on the, the ground, uh, but, uh, they've, they've come up, uh, there's a couple of designers, uh, who have, uh, uh, you know, have, uh, they have a name, uh, one that I can't remember right now and I apologize. <laughs> okay. I don't this have the is, notes in front of me. Yeah. I do not have the notes in front of me, but they've, uh, you know, they're not just some, uh, pair, uh, pair of people that just, you know, made a game out of nowhere. They've, they've been making other games. They work with Renegade. Renegade has joined up with, uh, Albino cause Albino knows how to get really nice, uh, card sets, uh, printed out and yeah, 20 bucks. You can get yourself this cool little, it's not a collectible card game. You don't have to buy add-ons and stuff like that. As far as I can tell, that was never mentioned. It's literally just a deck you get. Uh, gets dealt out, and um, away you go. Yeah, not not something that you have to buy uh, booster packs or anything like that no. from. It just sounds like it's what it, one one purchase price, and you're in, and you're good to go. Yeah, um, and then cool. it's due out as they said, fall 2018. So literally, right pre-order in, get it in a month. So we should be getting more time? info on it uh, momentarily. It sounds oh, like. hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, again, one of those things that we'll keep you guys posted on as soon as we uh, hear stuff. Um, all right. Well, this, this is something that we brought up last week. This is one that I really want to, uh, spend some time with here, Chris, uh, Halifax, uh, financial institution of, uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, they have been doing these commercials. Uh, this is not the first time they did a wizard of Oz one. If I remember correctly, where they inserted their spokesman into yeah. the movie. Um, uh, they did, they did. That was the last one they did. And they've done others that weren't. They're very pop culture. The last uh, five years, whatever company they use, it's won awards and all that because they keep yeah. doing these pop culture things. They did one with uh, Scooby-Doo and all that. Um, I can't remember what oh, the other ones were. I remember the Scooby-Doo one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But so, so uh, they basically- it's, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's a, Halifax is a brand bank offshoot of Lloyd's. Uh, Lloyd's Bank, Lloyd's of London, whatever it is there. Uh, and I guess what it comes down to is Lloyd's is the stuffy old 
you know, British banking institution. And Halifax is the cool, funky, <laughs> hey, kids, cool put your money shoot. into bank. It's, yeah. it's the e-assurance to their all state. Yeah. And all, all their <laughs> all their ads are targeted at a younger demographic. And yeah, the latest one is Ghostbusters. And it immediately split the fandom. Oh, my goodness. Well, so here's, here's the thing. So if you haven't seen it, so what, what they've done is they've inserted by editorial and compositing their spokesman into the original Ghostbusters film. He basically calls Janine, tells them that their uh, contactless Visa card is ready for them to pick up uh, and that they can come get it at the the hotel near the bank. All right, uh, stay with us here. So uh, the the Ghostbusters, well, Janine does her, we got one. The Ghostbusters show up to the Biltmore Hotel and waiting for them instead of Michael Ensign is their spokesman who hands their card over um, and then he follows them on a bust of a ghost because they've showed up to do that at the same time to pick up their card. I don't know. Stay with us. Uh, and so he's, he's a part of it. He gets, uh, slimed. He's in place of Peter Vankman. Uh, Ray does his, that's great. Actual physical contact. My biggest groan came from, he says, I prefer contactless. And yeah, <laughs> t- in regards to the the RFID chip on the card, it's it's all very kind of hammy. But uh, I mean, they embrace that bit. it's very hammy. Um, yeah, so, they they seem to have, have launched off from the idea that the this RFID chip uh, stuff. Do you guys have that in the states? We do. Yeah, it's it's now it's something that they're slowly adopting here in the states. It's on our phones, yeah. and it's slowly uh, becoming part of of our credit cards as well. The but. It kind of went the other way for us, actually. The the phones have adopted it slower than the the cards, um, but that's the great part about Canada is you know we're smaller and the number of banks are smaller and they're all national to a degree one way or another. So yeah, <clears throat> usually when the, the handful of big banks go, okay, this is where we're heading, the standard just kind of gets adopted by everybody else. So for a while now, we've had these. You can just walk into a you know the they throw the the interact the debit uh, machine at you and instead of having to yeah. chip it in or swipe Man, it you just tap and away you that's go. one thing that canada does that i wish that the states would do that they bring when you go to a restaurant they bring the little debit machine to the table so and they just they take care that, of your uh, bill uh, no oh, that, no they take sucks. your card and they go to the anyway totally different conversation <laughs> um, but I, I get the impression that they went and that is a spooky kind of power and then went from there yeah, you know they, somebody so, said yeah race has a line about contact and and of course stay puff is a brand so maybe he can buy some and he did and he some did of those, he buys uh, some marshmallows and the marshmallows which i'm pretty sure were actually the marshmallows that were on sale confectionery uh, the, the confectionery yeah. the com- was it rocket rocket uh, uh the licensing company Merchandising? Yeah, yeah yeah um or somebody that when answer the call came out and there was that big push of uh Ghostbusters, the pogo stick, etc. A lot of candy. The UK got so envious of them for the candy they got. Yeah, they got a lot. And one of them was packages of Stay Puft, and I get the impression that this was uh, this was might have been part of it. Was it was an excuse that they could go look? Yay, stuff that you can buy. I bought marshmallows (laughs) without 
punching in a code. Right. Hooray. Um, well, so here's, I mean, I think this, this falls squarely into the debate that has been happening since they made Fred Astaire dance with a, a Hoover vacuum cleaner. I can't remember which vacuum company it was, but everybody was up in arms. That, <laughs> oh my God, Fred Astaire, how dare you uh, insert a vacuum cleaner into his hand during this classic film thing? And, you know, he's uh, deceased and he shouldn't be hawking products like vacuum cleaners. And yeah. so it, it, it's, it's a debate that has been happening for for quite some time and I think that this now spawned that debate amongst the Ghostbusters community because it's not only is it Ghostbusters but they're altering the footage of the movie they digitally painted Ray Stance's cigarette yeah. out of his mouth which was really weird um, but makes sense because it's a commercial that airs at whatever time during the day so you can't yeah. show smoking on TV anymore um, they, uh, and, and then it gets down into the weird little things, people mad that Bill Murray was in it. It was like, Bill Murray was never going to give the okay to be in this. And it just made it simpler for them to swap Bill Murray for the, the Halifax rep. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, um, and then everybody got mad. Well, Winston's not in it. It's like, well, they wanted the one shot of the stairwell to create in a 30 second ad, a continuity from the, the foyer of the Biltmore to the hotel, uh, hallway where they run into Slimer. They needed to get up their side. Somehow, so they had him, the three of them, the Halifax guy and Egon and Ray, walk up the stairwell. Well, uh, Winston's not in, you know, that's, he's out of continuity at that point, so they just sort of took him out sort of thing. It, what this is is, is people getting mad that they can't have it both ways. Their, their thing is super huge, popular, made a huge impact on popular culture, and they wish it would just be this cool thing. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's they got they got mad like this. Do you remember the in the UK they did the um, whatever their yellow pages call up number was the zero yeah one eight zero one eight yeah the Ghostbusters theme song theme and, song yeah. and Ray, they got mad at Ray Parker Jr. because Ray Parker Jr. appeared in and it's like okay so Fred Astaire slash uh, Harold Ramis slash uh, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, those that are not around, uh, the you know, there's very specific rules and an estate that will yay or nay this stuff, and uh, they got paid for it. Dan Aykroyd is alive and obviously said okie doke, and he got paid for it. Like it's you can't get mad that there is a resonance to these things uh, that continues on. Uh, somebody saw a clever way to kind of capitalize on it. And somebody made like, well, I mean, be honest, they got so mad at Dan Aykroyd and all that for answer the car or, you know, getting paid for it. And it's like, well, yeah, he yeah, created a cool thing. It's a business. It's not that's your, the whole thing. That's the, it's that's not the your whole call. reason behind Such. it. Yeah. Um, I kind of got tired of it immediately because in, from where I'm at, it's like anytime it shows up, it can be cheesy. So far, has never been in bad taste. That's what would annoy me the most is if it was in bad taste. If it, yeah, if it was but poking it's fun been, at... know, everything from cheesy to cool. Yeah, I think that uh, that uh, those twins uh, singing along to the the Ghostbusters song with Ray Parker Jr. little cheesy, but they wanted to drill it into your head. And what's a better earworm than the Ghostbusters theme song? Um, all the way over to the Citroen ad where they remixed the song, and you know they drove around fighting ghosts in the car. It's like, uh, as long as that keeps happening, our, the thing we love stays alive. Do you know what I mean? Like we've had this debate before. If you, if you want to kill it, yes, hide it away from the world. Like you get, if you get your way and you hide it from the world, excellent. You will kill the thing you love. 
and uh, some people decide, well, that's fine. It will die with me. And a lot of other people go, uh, no, <laughs> we'd perhaps like to have some fun and, you know, enjoy life and stuff like that. This is actually fairly clever. This falls into the, I, I don't know exactly how cool it is because that Halifax spokesman, I don't think anybody has ever said that's a cool dude. No, I think that like, <laughs> that's the joke is that this guy is kind of a bumbling, he's a pretty, ridiculous uh, he's a dude. Bit of a, he's a bit of a square, but yeah. Um, just, just for the the sheer technical that the you know they they did is. Um, I mean, it is when you when you step back and you think about yes, they've altered the footage, they've mm-hmm. composited him in, they've painted people out, they've painted like the, they've the. Um, uh, when like Dan Aykroyd, so Stance reacts to him showing up, uh, and you know he gives his wide open where the the cigarette would normally be hanging from his lip. They like reverse the shot and painted out the cigarette, and I mean there's a whole lot of work that went into this. Uh, a lot. So it's not. It could yeah. have been a lot cheesier, I guess. I mean, frankly, that 30 second ad needs a five minute making of video just so we can. Yeah, what, the stuff they, they shot did. him against a green screen. So how you know what, yeah, what geometry um, were they putting him into? It's 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 kind of a feat when you think of it on a technical level. Yeah, um, and a lot of people were like, well, why didn't they just create a commercial? Well, but you know, it, again, like you said, it reminded people of how cool Ghostbusters is. Oh, I remember yeah. that scene. I remembered this, and that's. Yeah. I think if if you know you know Ghost Corps was probably involved in this because they're involved with everything Ghostbusters now, yeah. and I bet when this came across the desk of Ivan or Eric or whoever approves these kinds of things, they probably said, "Yeah, this is going to keep it in the public eye uh, at least for another six to seven months until we get to uh, Ghostbusters Fan Fest yeah. where we announce a new movie or a new animated show or whatever they've got in the cards for us." It's it's just something they keep the lights on. It's I'm pretty sure there's some formula that's been worked out too. So if it plays in the UK, it it gets you X amount of exposure. Yeah. But because it's the social media age, here's the half X that will happen around the world because everybody around the world will see it and it'll go semi-viral. And uh, I mean, I right down to it's just delicious for us fans because we do things immediately like, oh, that's how they resequence that stuff. Oh, of course you had to take Winston out because that scene is actually from the end of the movie, not right. from that part. And Or maybe oh, yeah, Ernie maybe, Hudson didn't agree to be in the commercial. <laughs> that's the other be. part of it. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> at, which, at which point it would have been fun to watch them, you know, composite Ernie in to the earlier shot but uh, yeah. and then I started asking questions like because they did an over the shoulder shot of the Ghostbusters uh, and it's one of those things where you look at it and go that is not Dan Aykroyd and that is not Harold Ramis no. they got guys in jumpsuits at which point my brain starts asking how good are those packs did they make them probably not did they well, borrow they them trap, which like, Ghostbusters that trap shot is not from the movie either <laughs> no. like that's a full, that's a whole cloth yeah. trap that they built um, that's a yeah so did you guys make it or did you borrow it from some fans cuz that seems to happen all over the place well, that's now, true is, too yeah if you see a ghostbusters pack in something that is not fan related uh, a fan loaned it like a prop making yeah. fan loaned it to the production um, so yeah Although that's uh, going back to last week's, that's something that kind of uh, strikes against my uh, my theory that they must have shot some of that uh, Hillywood stuff up here. Is who would they have talked to other than the Ghostbusters of British Columbia? And I don't remember those <laughs> and those those big mouths. They'd be talking about it all over the well, one big up mouth. information about it. Yeah, one big mouth. Um, you, you know who we're talking about. 
We love you, Ryan. Aw, buddy. Um, <laughs> buddy. Uh, well, I, let's, miss, I miss my buddies. Aw. Um, I, I want to play. So just just let's play a little devil's advocate to represent the other side <laughs> of this argument here. Because I do, I do understand the people that are upset about it or, or that the people that don't feel like it was in good taste. So uh, let's let's just for a second talk about how, like, what harm could this commercial do? Is is there any potential uh, aside from it being disrespectful to Harold, who may or may not have liked it? I I, I have reason to believe he would have been tickled by it. And you're gonna insert this doofy guy into my movie? Sure, go ahead. I don't care. Um, yeah. But but what harm could the commercial do? Does it paint like you were saying? It, because it runs the risk of being goofy, does it now paint Ghostbusters into kind of a kitschy light? Um, or is this like, uh, I don't know if you remember, but so about the time the special editions came out, there was a Darth Vader Energizer Bunny commercial where the yep. uh, he lights his lightsaber and it doesn't turn on because he's not using Energizer batteries. And I remember the Star Wars community saying the same thing, like, oh, what? Come on. The lightsaber runs on Energizer batteries. That's stupid. <laughs> Um, yeah, forgetting that those ads aren't necessarily aimed at them. Those uh, ads no, are aimed at I, I, everybody else. Totally. For for my parents who are watching TGIF, uh, that's where the commercial aired, and and they're all like, "Oh, that's funny." You know, Darth Vader is light. His lifesaver. You know, the people that don't even know that it's a lightsaber <laughs> are thinking that that's funny. So. Um, yeah, and save save your outrage, kids, because you haven't even seen a sack of oranges with uh, Star Wars stamped on it yet. So <laughs> yet, yeah. Um, but I don't, I mean, so are, are there potential damages that could come from this commercial? Is, is there a risk that people start seeing Ghostbusters as this sort of dated kitschy thing, uh, because of this commercial? Do you, do you think that's even a possibility remotely? No, for two reasons, the cartoon and the sequel. Oh, yeah. Uh, they they themselves already turned it into. I mean, you can you can only make something so kitschy when you've turned it into a Saturday morning, an '80s Saturday morning cartoon, no less. And um, uh, I mean, these days you turn movies into a you know like a Netflix original. Uh, I can't. Even, I can barely stand some of the 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 DreamWork movies that they they made, but the <laughs> Netflix originals that they're making cartoon series out of are actually. They're really kind of good. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, which hmm. is to say, I've watched a lot of Home with a certain uh, toe-headed uh, <laughs> six-year-old here, uh, who's who's picking up all sorts of of, of ridiculous uh, language off of them. Um, well, I mean, that's that's a good point, though. Kids kids are seeing this commercial, so if mm-hmm. it's airing during primetime broadcast TV on the BBC and, and kids are watching it and they go, what's this? This looks like fun. Like it's their first introduction to Ghostbusters, maybe. Yeah. Maybe um, a little bit. And I mean, as stalwarts, we can only complain that it's so kitschy. It got turned into a cartoon. Uh, and Ghostbusters too. like, did we all forget the, the Run DMC theme where Sigourney Weaver uh, got out of a car with a uh, you know dookie chains uh, and like uh, come on like but of its time that was pretty dope like that was pretty it, cool well yeah but the point is is that uh, it's it it is what it is um it's it's I mean compared to it's not as childish as the cartoon although it has a little bit of whimsy built into it with uh, uh, Halifax's uh, doughy pitch person there uh, yeah. and the um, 
it's not as retro cheesy as the sequel was. It actually kind of, the Ghostbusters part remains cool and the Halifax part is, do you know what I mean? Like it, it's almost like they made like a, you know, like a, some sort of uh, dessert square. <laughs> you know, there's a layer of Ghostbusters, and then they put this, you know, this gooey saccharine yeah. uh, little bit on top. But it's not like a ruin the original. And like I said, looking at it, it's kind of oh, it's kind of cool. We actually, I mean, as hardcore fans, we know exactly what this stuff is coming from. We know exactly what it was in the movie. But for everybody else, it's like, yeah, look at those guys in the jumpsuits with the cool packs. Cool. Right? Yeah. Like what did they do? It's, that's cool that they got everybody back from Ghostbusters to do this commercial. <laughs> And they obviously think there's an effect to be had there because what's uh, one of the most telling things they did? They took the cigarette out. Like if they thought, yeah, nobody's going to give a crap. Leave the cigarette in. But no, there's all these rules and they think it's going to have an impression. So, hey, they took the cigarette out, which means, as you said, kids are going to watch this and go, that's cool. I remember that. Daddy has that T-shirt. I've never seen it. You said I'd see it when I'm older. I'm older now. You know, like, it just keeps that conversation going. Uh, you know, maybe the kids have seen it and they go, it's time to see it again. Maybe, you know, maybe it's, a, a, you know, somebody who's out of, what do they have in England? It's not high school. Whatever they call it, though. When you move off to go to, you know, college and university or what have you, um, you know, they, though that was for kids, you know, um, and then they see the ad and they're like, oh, maybe I'll watch it again sort of thing. And you just, <laughs> yeah. you never know. You cannot reignite, you know, those nostalgic feelings in somebody if you don't throw up these little flares here and there. Uh, and you can't always count on, you know, a big giant gesture like a movie or a TV series. Like sometimes right. you just gotta, like we did, sometimes you just sort of grab the, you know, the 88 mile per hour comic series with both hands and hold on for dear life because that's what you got for the moment. And it finds a few more people and they go, yeah, yeah maybe I'll revisit it. So, yeah, it's it's a good way to introduce it to the masses. And and the things that we hold so dearly, I mean, I'm, I'm reco- because now they're doing it for everything. Like there's the George Clooney commercial where he's selling an espresso coffee machine where he's driving through. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit and the Muppet movie and like he literally goes through whatever it is eight different movies that they've inserted him into and whatever it's it's yeah they're selling a coffee machine but at the same time it's all commercial product Ghostbusters was a commercial product commissioned by Columbia that was owned by the Coca-Cola Corporation and when you watch Ghostbusters there's Coke cans everywhere and they're all cheated toward camera because it's a commercial (laughs) product so I would like to point out that um uh, there have been a couple of times over the last few years where uh, they did stuff like this. Like there's been a couple of, uh, there was a DirecTV ad. There was some other movie cable channel, I think might have been a European one or something, where they had the Ecto inserted in yeah, with a whole bunch of other. there was AT&T commercial not too long, like a couple yeah. months ago. Yeah. They're not, some of them are we're not using the movie. I think the direct TV, if I recall correctly, used clips of the movie. Nobody really got too up in arms then, although I'm sure a few people must have. Uh, the, the one I seem to recall actually used the, the Ecto, like it did some shooting with an actual, the actual car, stuff like that. But the point is, is that this is not the first time that they've, they've, they've done this. Right. And it's not going to be the last time either. That's, you know, and it goes all the way back. You and I will remember, you know, the, the the ABC Monday Night Movie, and it had the 
cheesy voice guy <laughs> over the bad video cut of Ghostbusters coming up next. Like the supernatural even, spooktacular. Spooktacular. Yeah. Even even back then, yeah. I mean those. I mean, God, eighties television stuff was so ham fisted. Yeah, we didn't care. The movie was coming on. Cool. Look, Ghostbusters. Stop talking. And it start did filming, okay. Right? Like yeah. Was, so I don't, know. I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I, it's funny because we had slotted this as like it's going to be a a point counterpoint devil's advocate kind of thing, but you and Didn't I, as we out. always are, are kind of aligned. So <laughs> <laughs> it makes for terrible radio, but that's okay. Well, uh, this is a good time to invite anybody that wants to write in or call into the yeah, phone voice, number because people have been very vocal about it. So now's your yeah. your chance to to sound off and let us know what you think, um, especially with. You know, the technology that we have now where we have the ability to bring Carrie Fisher and put her into a movie, uh, you know, after she has passed. Uh, how, do, how do you feel towards these things? That's that's what we want to hear from you guys. But um, all right. So let's let's do this, Chris, uh, because we've had, let's see, one, two, three kind of shortened episodes. We're going to just double pack this episode uh, because we have about another half hour, 45 minutes of content to provide you this week. <laughs> Um, so what I'm going to do is, uh, we want to talk about Ghostbusters crossing over. I'm going to save that for next week because I know a lot of people weren't actually able to get the comic this week, uh, yeah. due to a reason or two. Um, I wasn't. Yeah. I don't know what happened. And in fact, it was a surprise to, uh, Eric Burnham and, and Dapper Dan showing himself <laughs> as well. Dan so, was advertising yesterday on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, it comes out tomorrow. Um, I had to pull out the, uh, it does. What is, what's the, uh, the, uh, oh boy! The old previews. The, no, Cri- oh. the filmmaker that did. Uh, oh, Christopher, Christopher Guest. Guest. Yeah, the the best of show with uh, Fred Willard. Hey, what happened? What happened? Like, I can't what do happened? work. Um, <laughs> it's it's like I immediately went to IDW and I'm like, new this week, and I'm like, I don't see a Ghostbusters. Hey, it's not up. Something's yeah. wrong. So, um, so we're going to talk about that next week. Um, yep. we can talk about the wall street journal thing next week. Um, and, and here's why I'm kind of shuffling things to next week because, um, our friends at the circle city ghostbusters, um, the, the devoted fans that they are, the longtime listeners of the, the podcast, you guys have been so gracious, uh, to uh, like always be so supportive of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, they reached out to us when they did their live stream, uh, they hit you up, Chris, and they said, we're going to do this live stream and we're going to, we're going to have the whole panel. <laughs> Um, <laughs> they were, they they messaged me and it's like kind of last minute notice, but we're sitting front and center and it's about to start. I'm standing in line for like a summer reading club uh, <laughs> medal ceremony. I'm like, boy, I okay, can't. watch me juggle, oh, boy. I can do this, yeah. But um, so so they they really uh you know, big advocates of ours, and so they recorded the entire um the the, the whole panel. They they live streamed it. And then they have been gracious enough to give us the okay and provide us with the audio uh, to actually present to you the entire Ivan Reitman and Ernie Hudson panel from Wizard World Chicago last week. So uh, for those of you who are not at Dragon Con, if you're not, I can't say Comic Con anymore because it's trademarked. If you are not at a comic convention 
this weekend or you weren't at uh, Wizard World last weekend, this now is your chance to digitally kind of be sitting in the crowd uh, thanks to the Circle City Ghostbusters. So make sure you hit up their Facebook page, hit up their Twitter account, uh, give them the hits, the likes, uh, all the tweets um, because this this is their doing and they're kind enough to share it with us to share with you. So, uh, Chris, without any further ado, this is the panel from Wizard World Chicago and then afterwards you and I will come back to wrap things up. So here you go. We have two amazing gentlemen coming up on stage, star of countless television and film and movies and obviously a well-known and world-renowned producer and director of such films as Meatballs, Stripes, Twins, Kindergarten Cop, First off, I, I mean, I'd love to get started with a lot about uh, both of your careers um, through the ages. You know, we're gonna we'll talk plenty of Ghostbusters down the line, um, but I want to get started with sort of how how you got involved uh, in the industry and sort of started things off. But before we even get to that uh, amazing announcement, um, I know Wizard World and Ghostbusters are working together with Sony Pictures. Next year is the 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters, and we're having a fan fest in June on the Sony lot. Uh, with so uh, congratulations, 35 years, my gosh, it's pretty amazing. I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, the great thing is Sony's going to close up the entire lot in Los Angeles, if you can get down there. You get on the internet, uh, what, what is it? Uh, June, June 8th and 9th, yeah, next year, yes. 2019. Yeah, it goes live uh, September 17th, so you can get your tickets September 17th, we'll remind you again. Um, you'd be surprised, these, these people um, are travelers, uh, nerds love to travel, uh, we will show up anywhere, any day uh, to support. Um, and I know there's people from all over the place, not just Chicago here, um, so we'll definitely make it down um, to LA for sure. So talk a little bit about more of that um, uh, towards the end. But before that, I, I always find it interesting, you know, uh, such success um, for both of you in the industry. Um, but, you know, starting off, I, I know, Ernie, you uh, studied theater in school. Uh, Ivan, I know you, you know, did, started directing and producing films in school. When did, when did you start feeling that, that bug, right, to be in the industry? And then how did that ultimately lead to sort of your first early successes uh, in film, in the film and TV industry, from, from both of you? Well, I, I thought I was going to be a, a composer of music, and uh, I was in music school, in fact, uh, up in Canada, and they, they had a little film club, and I thought I would try my hand, and it was a little film that was called Orientation, it was about the first few days at university of a freshman student, and we did it, and it was very funny, and um, we were able to... Um, actually sell it to 20th Century Fox as a short with theaters while well, we're still students. And uh, really, many parts of that ended up in Animal House, uh, I mean, wow. played by new people. So it was an interesting <laughs> development. 
was um, you mentioned music and composition. Is that something that you you've continued pursuing kind of on the side as a hobby, or is that something that you just were really passionate about and kind of fell by the wayside as you as you began your career? I had always dreamed about actually doing a musical, and um, I've just never been able to do it. I think music plays a very important part in in most of the films that I've uh, directed, but. Um, it really, it's a passion project for some reason I could never get the right thing together. <laughs> Ernie, how about yourself? Um, I know, again, it began, went to uh, Yale School uh, for Drama, right, after studying. Um, and were, were you always interested, had you done, was your you know, original goal to stick with theater and then sort of film kind of fell into it, or was the goal always TV and film? Well, I think, um, you know, I'm from uh, Benton Harbor, Michigan, which is right across the lake. school, uh, went to the Marine Corps, got discharged from the Marines, uh, and I was kind of lost. I was just looking for a job. So the line in Ghostbusters uh, has a steady paycheck in it, I believe anything you say. Uh, I, uh, I finally got into college, Wayne State in Detroit, and um, I, I saw play, and I was just blown away, and I got really involved in theater. I graduated, uh, got a scholarship to Yale. Um, and I thought theater would be what I'd do for the rest of my life, but I began to realize that the people I was in school with were teaching, and, uh, and I didn't want to teach, I wanted to, to, uh, to do it. So um, I made it to L.A. I, I got married, I should say, and uh, the marriage ended, and the two kids came with me. <laughs> so I went to L.A. because my brother's there, and uh, I knew I'd have backup you know, with the kids, so... Uh, and that's kind of how I, you know, uh, I was uh, being around doing some films, and and I'm probably here. I never got the chance to before, but uh, this man, Ivan Reitman, um, changed, I think, the trajectory of my life. I mean, um, I, I I was wanting to do a television show called Ryan's Four that Henry Winkler was one of the producers on, and I really wanted this job. I mean, really, really, really wanted. To, to because I was going to be a doctor on ABC, and um, I auditioned. I was I thought I was so good for the the part, but Henry um, was not in the room, and so they sent me back. And as I was going in, Henry was leaving, and so I got a call from my agent saying that um, I didn't get Brian's four, which was just devastating. But I got a movie called Adventures in the Adventures in the Creep Zone. <laughs> that I, I wasn't really excited about it, but it turned out to be uh, a movie, the name was changed to Space Hunter, that Ivan uh, produced and, um, and gave me a job a year before Ghostbusters. And uh, between that and Ghostbusters, um, so I really, really got uh, involved in film and television. It's amazing how that works out like that. You know, that you immediately in the moment feel this distraught feeling, you know, of losing something, and you get something that you weren't so happy about, but then it led ultimately to this partnership. Sure, yeah. It's well, the movie, yeah, and I mean, all the films, you know, that, that you've created, uh, I've, you know, starting with producing Animal House and moving on to Meeple's Trap, you know, there really is this camaraderie or this, you know, fraternity of, of, of brothers, if you will, um, you know, of comedy legends and icons that all have worked together. Did you ever envision all those people coming together like that and then just really lasting throughout um, for a majority of your career, you know, in terms of meeting all these these amazing comedic legends? Well, I was doing these small movies in Canada and uh, I was, 
I actually had a Broadway show. That's really how I got to America. And there was a, um, it, was, it was called The Magic Show, by the way. It ran for about five years. The, uh, but I, I was a big fan of the National Lampoon magazine. And it was really the most important sort of humor magazine of its time. It, it grew out of the Harvard Lampoon uh, prior to it. And I just cold called the publisher of the magazine because I thought, He'd be good to know. We'll try to create a, a comedy film. I'll try to create a comedy film with him. And he said, look, um, I'm not interested in that, but I want to do the stage show. You, you've got the show on Broadway. Why don't you help me? I said, okay, whatever. And, um, and the show was called The National Lampoon Show. And this is before Saturday Night Live, before SCTV. Um, the, the show was, ended up starring John Belushi, Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and Brian Bill Murray, Bill's older brother. Yeah. And I sat there and I said, I've never seen people this funny in any one place. And they represented a whole new school of comedy and just a whole new ability. And uh, most of them got picked off and went on to Saturday Night Live. Harold Ramis, for whatever reason, did not get hired by Saturday Night Live. Part of my deal with the National Lampoon was if any part of that show that we did on Broadway could end up as a movie, um, I would get to hopefully direct it, but at least produce it. And um, so I went to Harold and I said, look, let's, let's go work on this film based on this show. And that movie turned out to be Animal House. I mean, it took about two years, but um, Harold, along with Chris Miller and Doug Kenny, end up writing this brilliantly funny script. Was, you mentioned some of the, the film that you made uh, in college, there were scenes from that. What were some of the specific examples of things that you pulled from your, your, your just fun kind of messing around college years? I mean, the whole opening with the beanies and, and showing up at the fraternity, um, the, Don, the Don Sutherland smoking dope with the kids in the closet, that's <laughs> uh, right out of, the short. <laughs> I didn't have Don Sutherland, but it was local kids. You mentioned um, it was this new type of comedy going on, and I think that's why these movies were so successful, because we were getting that um, intelligent idiot-type character, right? That was, that was new at the time. And it's written, you know, very intelligently of the, you know, you were portraying these, these dumb individuals doing silly things, you know what I mean? But it comes from an intelligent point. I think that's why they last, and, you know, they, they last in the... The, the time, you know what I mean, throughout. Well, more importantly, it represented the language of the baby boom generation. Yeah. You know, up to then, comedy was, you know, we were coming out of the era of, you know, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, and Bill Cosby, and not Bill, yeah, not Bill Cosby, but, uh, yeah, let's not talk about it. That's a confusing reference, I don't even know how it went there. And, uh, finally, Animal House suddenly resonated I mean, there were movies that represented the, the, the baby boom generation in the 60s, but they were pretty serious. So there's things like Easy Rider, and Putney Swope, and things like that, but were quite dramatic, but nobody was doing comedies. Was there a point, um, it obviously started off as, uh, all these films, you know, started off from Animal House to Meatballs to Stripes. You know, they had this kind of underground cult following. I think that was great, because a lot of people at the time were following 
these individual comedy theaters, you know, these comedy performers and seeing them on SNL. Um, was there a point where you realized it was all kind of coming together and that this was becoming super popular and you guys were creating this, this new genre of comedy? Well, we never even thought of it that way, but the amazing thing was it was popular right away. Animal House, you know, was a sensation. Um, I, I had a very hot streak for about 12 years. I had, uh, I think, 12 movies that were number one films. And I, I mean, the amazing thing about Ghostbusters that is almost hard to believe right now is it opened at number one. I remember Steven Spielberg's uh, Indiana Jones opened the week before. And, you know, he was formidable competition. And, um, and Ghostbusters came out and just sort of beat it a little bit in the second week. And then Ghostbusters stayed in the number one uh, box office position for every single week of the entire summer, except for one. I think the a Clint Eastwood movie came, beat it, it dropped to number two, and then next week it came back to number one. <laughs> but at that long staying powder, how did it feel good to knock Steven Spielberg off the top there? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, have you ever uh, recollected that back to him and been like, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, we took you down. <laughs> I didn't say that to him. <laughs> There's some things we don't say between. <laughs> Ernie, um, was, uh, how about the, the success factor for you? When did you realize, like, oh man, you know, after filming the movie and everything and going through it, was there a point where you realized Ghostbusters was as big as it was and was becoming, you know, a huge success? Well, I, I think for me it was the second movie that I shot. Uh, well, on Space Hunter, um, Ivan the guys brought me to New York to promote the movie. It was the first time really sort of being in New York. And Ghostbusters was the first movie that I actually shot in New York with the guys. And that was pretty, pretty phenomenal experience. And, uh, but it just felt different and it felt special. But, you know, normally a movie would come out and it would be in the, in the theater for a few weeks and then it would disappear and the next thing would come along. And the strange thing with Ghostbusters was it just kept growing and it's been growing for like 35 years. I mean, there's something about it that was uniquely different. And so that's always been amazing to me, but I think even while we were making it, when we first got to New York, it was just just a really special experience. Uh, how was it at the time? I know things have changed in terms of filming and you know, how that, you know in New York and things like that, and there's a lot more um, specifics in, in terms of getting spots and getting sets and everything. How, how was it shooting at the time uh, in the city? I, I mean, I know you guys went back and forth, did a lot of the on-set stuff in California, but then did a ton of like on-location things, and that's why it has such a good, fun, you know, New York feel to it because of all those external shots and all those things in New York. Um, was it crazy? Were there like crowds everywhere? You know what I mean? How was shooting uh, in the city? <laughs> I made about four movies over the years in, in New York. Shooting Ghostbusters was by far the most fun we ever had. And it, it was tough. You, what I learned really quickly, because it was the first one I shot in New York, was that you just had to go with the flow. You can't fight it. You have to, you know there's going to be a lot of people around, and you can't force them to go where they don't want to go. And so um, I basically made them extras. And it was, you know, we built into the script um, the whole idea of the Ghostbusters becoming famous and people wearing the t-shirts and, and cheering them on and everything. And we just used the real crowds and started putting them in and, um, and I just started directing the crowd and, and getting them to do stuff. And it seemed to, it helped the energy both for the actors and everybody was having kind of a good time. 
the amazing thing about Ghostbusters is it um, it just came together um, in March of 1983. Um, I read a treatment that Dan Aykroyd had written for himself and John Belushi, and then John had passed away. Uh, but it was it was Ghost Chasers, I think, at that time. It was the name of it, or Ghostbusters, and. It took place in outer space sometime in the future. And it had many competing groups of Ghostbusters, uh, but it had these brilliant ideas. Brilliant idea number one is that there was technology that you could catch ghosts, and that there were a group, there were actually many groups of people um, who, you know, acting much like firemen were, went out and caught them. Um, so I sat down with Danny, I said, look, this script is impossible to make. It's way too expensive. It's, there's stunts and there's special effects. And this is before there's digital effects, so everything had to be done real. Um, and I don't think we can do this. And I don't think it's the right story, although it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. And I suggested to him that we do this that should be set in New York, contemporary New York, make these guys, you know, parapsychologists working at a university to get kicked out. And let's, and it's really a going into business story where you've picked a business very unusual, but you picked at the right time because bad things were happening. And we use that very thin thread as the structural idea. I also told them, I don't think it should be for two people, it should be three, and then eventually it became for four. And I, I thought that we should bring Harold Ramis in as, as one of the co-writers. By then I had worked with Harold on, of course, on the Lampoon show, and then Animal House, and then uh, Meatballs, and he came in to help out on Stripes. So he was, I always felt of him, that he was like the brother I never had, and that um, he was the clever writer that I wish I could be, and uh, that he would help out in the construction of it where Aykroyd had this sort of brilliance, um, this conceptual brilliance that is very, very unusual and almost unique. Uh, Harold has had a way to make real human dialogue and real human comedy out of, out of these situations. And um, so the three of us went off, well, even before that, I pitched this uh, literally four days after this little luncheon meeting with Danny where he just said, yeah, let's go do that. And he'd been struggling uh, to find somebody to make the movie with. Uh, and he was very helpful in terms of going along with it. I went into Columbia Studios with only two people, a, the head of the studio and the marketing head. And I told the story very much like I just told it right now. This is what it's going to be, and it's going to be Bill Murray, and it's going to be Dan Aykroyd, and Harold Ramis. Ernie wasn't involved just yet, but it's coming. And the... Um, he said, okay, fine, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. And um, how much do you think it will cost? I had no idea what it would cost. We didn't have a script yet. And uh, Stripes had cost $10 million, so I decided, well, I'll go crazy. I'll triple that amount. Yeah. And I just said $30 million to him, and he said, okay. Um, <laughs> did, you stay, did you stay in budget? What was the, what was the final budget? We actually, well, that's the whole story of the making. Everything just fell into line. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
all he said is it has to be ready by June the 8th, 1984, which was 13 months after that meeting. So we had no script. There was no special effects house. <laughs> because there was only one really great video, visual effects house, and that was ILM. And that was already busy doing that Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> and I said, well, we're going to have to build an effects house on top of that uh, because we got to start like right now. Even though we haven't designed anything, we don't even know who the ghosts are or what we're going to have. And but they stood up, they wrote, they wrote a $5 million check out of the 30 um, to Richard Edlund, who, was, who had worked on, I can't remember right now, oh my God. Uh, and he set up a company uh, that started the visual effects literally, took about two months to build the company, but by the summertime, uh, he was starting to work. And um, Harold, Dan, and I all went up to Martha's Vineyard, I think the, um, Fourth of July weekend of 1983, and we basically wrote the script together in a two-week period. Our families were there. We all, we had three separate houses, and we would get together and work all day. And we families would all get together and have dinners. Sometimes just all together, or sometimes ourselves. It was very communal and a spectacular experience. And we left two weeks later with a draft. Now, it's, it was very close to the movie that you now have gotten to know. Um, I mean, the one final story, thing I want to say about Ghostbusters is I was very lucky because different people just contributed wonderful things to it. Yeah. And so here we were working on the script very quickly, doing the effects right from the beginning, and various people likes. I remember when Sigourney Weaver came into audition for the role of Dana Barrett. And, you know, she had, she, by then she had done Alien and years of uh, Living Dangerously. Um, but she was still auditioning, she had heard about it, she wasn't really a big star. And, but she was really smart and she spoke about the script in a very intelligent way. And at some point she stopped and said, you know, I was reading the script and I really think that Dana Barrett should become a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Really, yeah, she said I should be possessed, and um, she got on my coffee table at my office, <laughs> on all fours, wow. and started howling like a dog. <laughs> I said, wow, this is a really cool idea. <laughs> and Sigourney Weaver, all six foot four of her, sitting on my coffee table. I remember calling up Harold right after that, and I said, look, Dana Barrett was just howling like a dog in my office. <laughs> I think it was a good idea. And we, we were really struggling with what to do. We had this idea of a key master and a gatekeeper. We didn't really have it worked out yet. And, and just that little comment, you know, you know worked out. John Candy um, was in Stripes. And it was his first American movie. I think he had done a couple of small Canadian films. And he became quite a star off of Stripes. And so I naturally called him up because I thought he would be perfect for the guy down the hall uh, to Dana Barrett, you know, who bugged her. And he read this, I sent him a script, he said, yeah, I like, love working with you, Ivan, yeah, we should do this. <laughs> I sent it to him and, and literally the next day he calls back and he says, you know, I thought I should play him with a German accent. I should have dogs, like big German shepherds. 
I said, you can't have dogs, there's dogs on the roof. <laughs> it's going to be confusing to everybody. Uh, he said, look, I can't do it. I want to play with like a German guy. I said, I don't think that's going to work. And we parted ways. And I knew Rick Moranis from, you know, there was this wonderful community of very funny people that I grew up with in Toronto, uh, one of which was Rick Moranis. Uh, but we had never worked together. But I called him up and I said, Rick, um, I want to do this movie. I've got to be honest with you. I offered it to John Candy, who was another Canadian from up there. And he's turned it down, but I think he made a mistake. Uh, would you read it, please? And he said, okay. <laughs> he read it and called me an hour after he got it. And he said, thank God John Candy's an idiot. He should have done that. <laughs> it's amazing how it all works out like that. You know how and it all came together. It was just, you know, John Candy would have done a great, his own kind of version, but not sure. like a German guy. And um, <laughs> I could have talked him out of it. But Rick Moranis is just was spectacular. And I said, look, Rick, there's really no part here. Can you just work on stuff? And he came up with this brilliant accountant guy. Uh, virtually 90% of his lines you know, were written by him. That brilliant one take when he's, you know, at the party he has, and he, where he welcomes the people in. And it's one long, continuous shot. He opens the door, and there's the terror dog for the first time alive. And uh, it's one of my favorite shots in the film, both because of the combination of comedy, yeah. performance, and surprise that are, that are part of it. Am I babbling a little bit? No, no. She's no. going. It's a testament to the movie, like you said. Um, you know, there's a brilliant idea that a bunch of people then brought together and, and really shaped. And that's what's so awesome and why I think it's lasted is it is this fun story of, you know, ordinary people, if you will, in this extraordinary situation. Um, and how each person brought, each actor, each performer, you know, each part of this, you know, brought their, their own element to it, which is amazing. You mentioned Winston wasn't, you know, originally one, you were thinking three. How, where would that, where did that sort of inception of that character come into play? As we were writing it, we realized, because well, these guys were all university professors, and of course, Bankman um, was the cynical one and the salesman. We always thought one was going to be the mouth, and one was the heart, and one was the brains. I'll let you figure out who was who. <laughs> but we realized they all knew everything, and there was all this technical stuff that we had to get across to, to our audience. And so we, we thought at the end of the first act, or it turns out I think even earlier, we had to bring in a new character who they can explain things to, and who would, um, uh, you know, who would really become the the voice in the ears of the uh, of the audience. Yeah, yeah, he becomes the, the audience character that we identify with, kind of like these. We got these silly, crazy guys, and then we've got you know from from the streets of New York, Winston coming in, you know, and, and setting them straight. <laughs> You did not audition, did you, Ari? I can't remember. What, how did we? How did we? <coughs> that's I knew what we work together. But, uh, yeah, well, I can't that's, remember. Well, that's what time does. I auditioned <laughs> three or four times. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like again? They want to see me again? No, it's uh, you know it's funny because it, this is absolutely fascinating um, to hear because we've never actually talked about any of this stuff in detail. So I'm I'm just really. Um, I love hearing you because as an actor, I don't know any of that stuff. 
All I know is, I gotta get a job. They're doing a movie now. The fact that they're meeting in Martha's Vineyard, the fact that all this other stuff is going on, you never know that because all you see is your, they want me to come in, I gotta be again, and do I get the job? I don't get the job, and so, yeah, no, it was a, it was a long process, but I'm thankful it worked out. <laughs> You bring an awesome energy to the movie that really fits in well with, with all the other characters. Um, and we were talking a little bit earlier before about just the energy of New York, filming in New York, and uh, those people, you know, any, any fun just stories about that energy of the actors and, you know, the cast, uh, you know, and having fun together while shooting and filming? Well, you know, a lot of times people ask me for, like, funny stories or, you know, I'm, I'm not a, um, you know, one of those kind of pranksters. I don't do that sort of thing. Um, I, and I was just sort of coming into, I'd done a couple of movies, I think I worked with John on a film before then, um, called, I remember the Going Berserk, anyway, but, 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 um, for me, this was kind of new, this was new with some people who had been doing it for a long time, so I was a bit, not in awe, but it was just magical in a lot of ways, so, um, I think, like I said, just being on the streets of New York, um, seeing everybody just come together in, in a way, I've I, I mentioned Ivan a couple of times about um, just being with Bill Murray, hanging out, um, or even just shooting on the streets and how fans just, you know, went nuts, guys would, you know, slam on their brakes, and, you know, taxis would stop in the middle of the street and run over and just, uh, that was, that was a learning experience and it was a wonderful sort of um, basis for what was to happen for the rest of my career, just in terms of how you carry yourself, how you take all this stuff in. And um, so it was all just sort of eye-opening and a wonderful one. Yeah, it's an awesome way to describe it. Yeah. I think the one that I remember the most, uh, right in front of uh, Dan Barrett's building, the main building, uh, which is on, it's a real apartment building that I actually just visited. Yeah. Uh, for the first time a few weeks ago. You know, that's the place where the ground breaks and they fall into the hole and a taxi cab or a cop, I can't remember, uh, falls in. And God. we actually did it live in California at the, I think the Warner's Ranch, where we built a replica of the bottom floor of that building and that sidewalk. And we had a photograph of what that would look like. Uh, but we had to shoot the ending of that actually at the building itself. And we had a brilliant uh, production designer named John DeCure Sr. I think he was nominated for 18 Academy Awards in, in his lifetime. He's now passed away, unfortunately. But uh, he was able to overnight, you know, lift up the, um, had these beautiful style, huge styrofoam pieces and the car and everything else. So it really looks like something terrible happened overnight and there were news news reports on the radio people stopped getting down buses and said oh my god there was an earthquake in front of, uh, in front of that building on central park west um it was funny it's really fun you know the uh because we were on such a short schedule uh we were rewriting all the time uh, we finished shooting we shot the film in 60 days which is not a lot considering we did almost almost every effect live. So yeah, the wow. cards that fly and um, most of that was done in some, some combination of old style visual effects and mostly physical effects. 
so the actors could feel what it was like to go through that process. Right. And I had such a, a brilliant ensemble of actors who, you know, not, not only brought reality to the situation, but could improvise uh, in a certain kind of way that, you know, you, they weren't faking it because they were sort of living it. Yeah. And it's, so there's a kind of emotional resonance to all those scenes that I think are quite effective because the tone of the movie is both really comedic, kind of scary at times, which yeah. is all very unusual and, and fairly dramatic. The, we finished shooting in January and the movie's coming out in June. We haven't seen any visual effects. <laughs> I had a wonderful editor who I've worked with about 20 times, and uh, this was the first time we were working together, and he was managed to assemble uh, the movie within three weeks after wow. we finished shooting. It had no special effect, visual special effects in it. So, like, when the Ghostbusters shot their proton uh, guns, there's nothing that came out. You know, they were just going, <laughs> doing all that stuff, but you didn't see anything. They were looking at ghosts and there was like a guy. There were even crew members in the shot that were going to be taken out later on. And I said, look, we have to show it to an audience because we don't have enough time. We better know that we have the story. And I was really worried about the Marshmallow Man. I think it's time to talk about that. Let's open up about the Marshmallow Man. I forgot to say that the other brilliant thing in Ackroyd's script the treatment, that way, the outer space treatment. So there were maybe 80 ghosts and goblins and things that were in it, one of which was the Marshmallow Man, and it appeared on in the first act. Right. And I don't know, there was just something about that idea that seemed really intriguing. But at the same time, it scared the crap out of me because I thought, up to now, the movie's kind of realistic, even if it's goofy. Suddenly, this. 60-foot thing walking down Central Park. I don't know if that's going to work. That's maybe the thing that throws us out. So I said, let's have a screening. And we had two shots, because it was, it's basically a guy in a, in a big uh, outfit, right? a thing on his head. Um, we had the first shot of the marshmallow man's head behind the, you know, those built the building yeah, coming up in downtown. And, uh, and I, of course, I had all that live stuff on. I can't believe what they let me do on the streets. It was an easier time to shoot. Yeah, yeah. It was before 9/11. There was a whole. Uh, there was there was a much more. There was a great ease about the city that, unfortunately, no longer exists there. And so we screened the movie three weeks after we finished shooting. And it was like the greatest screening I ever went to of that movie. The um, people screened. I think they, when Dana Barrett opens up the fridge, they're very early on the film. Now the egg stuff was real because we actually did it. So she, we had things to make all those eggs pop, and, and that was actually a burner on top that looked like right. you know countertop. So those eggs were really frying. But when she opens up the fridge, that was meant to be visual effects that we didn't have. So in that screening, when she opened up the fridge, it just said. Shot missing. <laughs> it got the greatest response. Yeah, people went crazy because you remember imagining it. Yeah, and it was much, frankly, much better than anything we ended up getting. It. <laughs> what about the Stay Puff? Uh, how was the first reaction to the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? I know you were saying you had a couple of shots of the face and then just a man in a costume. Well, that was 
the screening was going really well. We're up to that point. And I'm going, oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> and as soon as that head bobbed, and it yeah. was a kind of goofy way that it moves, and, the, and even that audience literally started screaming. Nice. And uh, I said, oh, thank God. And it was, um, and it was so satisfying. Yeah. And they didn't have any, there was nothing else until, you know, we dumped a whole bunch of shaving cream on Bill Adelton's head, and then we, we had all those big pieces really on the street in Central Park. It's amazing, and that's, again, you know, a testament to the movie, how you said, like, it's, it was the truthfulness that all the actors brought to it, right? It's that line that Dan Arnold says, he's like, you know, it's the first thing that popped in my head. The State Buff Marshmallow, instantly, we're, we're in it, and we don't care what, you know, we know it's something silly coming down the street, but it's something they have to fight. You know, it's just as ferocious as the word Godzilla or something like that, you know? And it's, it, it made sequels very tough to make. You know, not, first of all, Bill never wanted to make a sequel. We all sort of wanted to do it because we had such a good time. We made a lot of money, I'll be fair. And uh, <laughs> the studio was desperate to do a sequel. We put him off for about five years, and we could never, and, and I liked the second movie a lot, and now people like, seem to like it a lot more than they did, because in those five years, the world really changed, and uh, you know, the sense of what was right, the zeitgeist of the country changed, and Batman, that very first Batman that was really pretty um, remarkable and it changed what people were thinking about in these kinds of movies and so and I was I wanted to make a much more character based film and it's really about Bill and Sigourney having this baby and it's a it's really very humanistly uh, based and, and we had the hardest time trying to come up with some kind of climax uh, for the film uh, we ended up with the Statue of Liberty, which I don't think quite works, but uh, I'm really proud of the rest of the movie. And we could never come up with that great, this kind of idea of, well, I was trying to think of the most interesting thing, you know, when that popped in my head, and it was just a clever way of bringing on the Marshmallow Man, and I think it was one of the reasons that it worked so well. And we couldn't come up with anything that, <laughs> that even came close to that for the Nothing will beat the marshmallow man, yeah. <laughs> like you said though, um, yeah, at the time maybe, I think there was a lot of reaction just to it being a sequel, but now, my gosh, like, you know, I, I don't think you can talk to anyone in this room that says they don't love Ghostbusters 2, you know, as equal or, you know, close to uh, the first one. Let's get to some of these um, questions out here. I know there's some people I've um, been patiently waiting or um, getting a little short on time. Hey, what's up? Now, um, my question for uh, Ivan is, uh, what advice can you offer to an aspiring uh, filmmaker looking to break into the industry? <laughs> well, just make films. You know, it's a lot easier today than it was. That very first short film that I talked about at the beginning of our talk today was all shot in 16 millimeter. The, mo the longest take I could make was uh, 30 seconds because you had to hand crank it. You had to buy the film, which was really expensive. You had, to, you had to send it to a laboratory to process. You got a work print. I had only these roller things by hand to look at it on a viewfinder. Your camera, the one you have in your pocket right now, is way more sophisticated than anything that was available, including when we made the big movie. So you've got everything you need, and it sinks down. Go ahead and make it. Just do it, right? <laughs> awesome. So, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> sorry.
sorry. I uh, had an experience seeing Ghostbusters in probably the early 90s on the Disney Channel that I've never been able to corroborate or explain, but it seemed like they had a cut using alternate takes to make a more family-friendly version. So I have been curious for years how that came about or if that's something that was put together or, or if that's something you know about. <laughs> hey, I didn't know Ernie, you know, I had to audition three times. <laughs> I think I was there. <laughs> Not so concerned about the Disney Channel cut from the 1990s. I mean, I don't remember that right now, but it's quite possible. I mean, I had cutting rights on everything. Um, I mean, it was, when you look at the movie right now, and it's amazing, almost all of you have brought your children who have them, and I could, we never thought that, you know, four or five year olds would go see this film. We were making a film for us, you know, for, at whatever age we were then, which was in our 30s. And um, so I think, uh, I know there was a, I think there was an airplane version, and you always had to agree to make cuts for airplanes. You know? So I have a feeling that's what you saw. It is interesting you say that, um, that it, you didn't set out to make a, a family film, if you will, or a family-friendly film, but it really is a film that's great for all, for all ages, and has had this staying power, and has these different cuts, and has now lived on in you know, video games, and, and cartoons, and animated series, you know? You ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, no. <laughs> Anything, anything that we would be excited to uh, hear about? Uh, <laughs> I can't be specific today, I promise. No worries. No worries. Um, More for the fans coming there's, up. There's lots of, there's some big things coming. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, there you go. Hey, thank you so much. So, there are stories about how much of the movie was actually improv, and I was wondering, like, how much of the final cut deviated from the script? Well, even the script evolved almost every... Because part of... Uh, Harold used to say a wonderful thing. He always thought that the, uh, the, the, shooting, the shooting was the, this is the final draft of the writing. And <laughs> I would do improv in a slightly different way than it's become uh, today. And, I really believed in it, I grew up with it, and improv was a part of every movie that I've directed, including the serious ones. The, but uh, I would always try to do exactly the way the script was written first, and when I was really happy that we had every um, take proper, you know, I would always say, okay, it's the free one. I remember I used to say that earlier. In terms of, and, the actors are allowed to do what they wanted or come up with alternative lines, but it was always within the spirit of the movie we're making and the, you know, the characters had to make sense within the story that we were telling. And I, we would often sort of huddle after each take and uh, I would go and say, wow, hey Bill, that line, that was really great and uh, Harold, do you mind if we give this one to Ernie? I think we should, uh, That'd be better coming out of his character, and there was a, there was a because they had all come up through like Second City mostly, where it was all about listening. Yeah, they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
And there's an extraordinary generosity. It was about working together on a scene. And it was, and, they, and a bunch of them had, had worked together for many, many years. And so it was very easy to reapportionalize and um, even Billy, you know, who later had some something of a cantankerous um, reputation, really was so generous with everything. And um, I could say to him, you know, that that paragraph that you just hit that was great, but could you leave this and this out and get back to the script right over here? And that's the way we built it um, yeah, during the shoot. Ernie, you mentioned um, yeah, you starting fact, off but, but on that on yeah. that note, I will yeah. also say the um, the, the improv. Um, pretty much, you know, I get people come up and they'll quote a lot of lines from Winston, especially from the first movie, mm -hmm. and that was really I love this town. The last line of the uh, the Twinkie stuff. The guys were so generous because I think that's a great line, and yet they were willing to include and share, and that's really special and unusual in this business. So, yeah, I remember very, very important. That's exactly what I was gonna ask you. Yeah, it felt like, you know, even like you said, you were coming in awe to start, and they had their own, like, own little fraternity, if you will, that you were just completely accepted right away, and was one of the boys. Well, yeah, but you know, I, I grew up in, in um, you know, because I didn't come from, uh, not just uh, Hollywood, where I didn't know anybody in the industry, and so there's a tendency that I uh, developed to sort of hold back a bit. And you almost want to be invited. And I think had the guys been different, they would have, but they were always inclusive, especially Harold. And I'll always be very um, appreciative of him because uh, the guys always sort of, um, let's see me standing over there and kind of go, Ernie, come on. You know, I, I, um, I'd go to people's houses as a kid and um, they'd sit down to eat. And so unless I was invited, I would just not, you know, um, but that's, I think, a, a fear of getting your feelings hurt. But it was great to be a part of this group that were really um, just, uh, you know, just very, very open and caring. It, it meant a lot to me. Amazing. Hey. How you guys doing? So, uh, as we can tell, you know, Ghostbusters resonates with so many people, so many generations. It's been 34 years now that it's came out. I was born in 1984, literally like two weeks after the movie came out. And uh, one of my earliest memories is seeing Ghostbusters as a child, along with the animated series and whatnot. And Ghostbusters 1 2, they kind of just one giant story to me. Love them both equally. It's absolutely my favorite movie, hands down. And this might fall under the classified, non specific, whatever. And I'm sure a lot of people are always wondering, and I don't know if you can talk about it, but. Will there be any chance of another live action film, especially with some of the original characters? <laughs> there will be some important announcements within the last year. You should sign up for FanFest June 8th through 9th next year. And maybe you'll hear some of those announcements. And tickets go on sale September 17th at Ghostbusters.com and WizardWorld.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry we're out of time for questions, but you can go beat multiple gentlemen after the booth. Please give it up one more time for the legendary Ernie Hudson. Wait another minute, pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, 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 go stoppers. I'm sorry, we'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our call-in line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. You do? And Twitter accounts. Friends is dead. No kidding. Just give me a call.
Search Facebook for The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroads. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professional. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. So there it was. Uh, we, we we need the we need the SpongeBob SquarePants uh, interstitial cards. Forty-five minutes later. <laughs> do do do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> passage of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, again, super cool of the Circle City guys to uh, yes. let us use their audio. Thank you guys again so much Thanks, for gang. doing that. Uh, Jacob is always uh, a big fan. Uh, I love that guy. But um, so. Chris, we are entering our 17th hour of podcasting here after a couple episodes that were under a half hour. Uh, yeah. What do you got in terms of final thoughts for this one? Uh, final thoughts. I got a final thought. We Something else that came out today, and um, I neglected to uh, get into the pipeline there. Uh, but uh, this weekend, uh, uh, Dragon Con weekend, it's also uh, Fan Expo. Canada, oh, yeah, in Ontario. Uh, shout out to Solange really and Riley and Adriana and the gang. Yeah, um, presumably to Mr. Holden, who we will talk about next week in the Wall Street Journal uh, article. Yes, yeah, that's one that uh, we keep shuffling uh, off. Yeah. Uh, but it got um, there. There's a there's a um, a music hall, uh, the Sony Center, Toronto. Uh, and they tweeted out that they have a booth at Fan Expo Canada. And if you go find them, they are taking advanced uh, ticket sales for their get ready June 8th Whoa. Ghostbusters Day 2019 uh, Ghostbusters in concert performance. So wow. we know uh, at least one place that's going to be playing Ghostbusters in concert. Um, but that's apparently counter programming to fan fest though. Mm. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, there's, uh, well, it begs a lot of questions, which means, uh, is the Bernstein family able to teleport or <laughs> project astral projection <laughs> forms on themselves or something? Uh, fan fest is on a, a over a couple of days, uh, uh, and really, you just gotta. I mean, eighth's out, but can you hit the seventh? Can you hit the ninth? The tenth? Like somewhere is close to Fan Fest for a performance in LA still? Don't know. Yeah, probably, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and it is a, you know, it's a five hour flight world here in North America, which means Mr. Bernstein could be in Toronto and easily the very next night be in LA to talk to a bunch of fans. Yeah, the whole orchestra is not traveling, just he is. No, yeah. exactly. It's fairly easy in that regards. Uh, but we found out. Uh, uh, one more performance, and not only that, you can buy tickets. Yay. I, however, this has not been clarified, but a couple of people mentioned to me <clears throat> that they thought, oh, I thought you could get tickets to uh, FanFest at Wizard World last week, somebody was mentioning. And I'm like, no, they just announced it September 17th. And then this thing with Sony uh, Center Toronto got announced, and I'm like, I'm wondering if we just haven't heard it properly, but if the uh, all the other conventions, including the Wizard World's uh, wherever they're at uh, 
if there's a, a place nearby that is putting on the, if there's an orchestra that's putting on the Ghostbusters in concert, if they're not doing the same advanced sales there. So uh, interesting. If you're hitting up conventions and you happen upon a place that's, you know, saying uh, tickets for Go, uh, Ghostbusters in concert, uh, make a note of what the date is and which uh, which orchestra, and let us know, please. Yes, yeah. Tell the world. We'll tell the world. And you know, as you were just talking about that, I have this, like, because the Elmer Bernstein score was re- released by Varese Sarabande, whatever that was, uh, uh-huh. ten, 10 years ago and is yeah. long since out of print, I feel like Sony Music should release the album again. Like, yeah. it, what are they going to sell in their merch booth if they don't have the actual music that they can be selling on CD for people to take home? So... Um, yeah, that seems well, like I mean, if, it, if you go to that booth, uh, tell the Sony Music reps like, "Hey, what gives? We want a CD. <laughs> Let's yeah. buy the album again." No, no, no kidding, right? Like, uh, and while you're at it, we want uh, we want uh, Newman's from Ghostbusters Two as well, so <laughs> which may or may not exist according to several people. Uh, but uh, but anyway, so yeah, uh, hit us up if you are hearing those dates. Like uh, I know our Utah friends were kind enough to share the billboard uh, that they saw out there. Um, so we'll we'll start compiling all of those together, and hopefully, I, I would imagine that will be up on Ghostbusters.com at some point. All of the uh, the dates, the tour yes. dates as they arise. But um, well, cool. All right. Well, until next week. I know this one's running a little long. Uh, we will be back. We'll talk Ghostbusters crossing over. Uh, we will finally get to the wall. Street Journal article that we have now put off for two weeks, and uh, I'm sure there will be plenty of other developments for us to be talking about. But until then, we will see you all on the other side. Who you gonna call? Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional CrossRip. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. It used to be one of my two favorite shows. Let me guess. Goals are worshiping. Everything you're doing is bad. I just want to let you know that. No study. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. Next week, though, hairless pets. Weird.